How many of you are thankful for that rock and that shelter? Amen. Even when there's a storm raging out there physically and spiritually, he's our rock and our shelter. Amen. Before we go to the Lord uh, in the word, we'll go one more time to the Lord in prayer. The title of my message this evening, even before we pray, is entitled Barren or Bearing. And it's a lesson in fruitfulness. And the allotted amount of time we have, I just pray that the Lord anoint me and anoint you as well. Amen. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you that you are our rock and our shelter. You're an ever-present help in a time of trouble, Father God. You're the, the name of the Lord is a strong tower that the righteous can run into and be saved. So, Father God, we're not afraid of the storm, Lord God, but we do take precautions. And I pray, Father, that in the amount of time that we have, Lord God, before we exit, that you would fill this place with your anointing and with your power, with truth and revelation. Let us not be distracted by anything this evening. As you bring forth your word, let it come forth with clarity and power. I pray that you would anoint my mind, my mouth, everything that takes place tonight. Anoint your people to hear, to listen, and to receive, so that you would be glorified and we would be changed. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. I'm going to get to the meaning and the meat of my message in just a moment. But first, I want you to know that this, during this past Easter weekend, as I reflected on the service and just reflected on God's goodness and all that He's done for all of us, in preparation for my word for tonight, I began to ask myself if Christ's death has really made any difference in our personal lives. I begin to wonder if the fact that God demonstrated his love towards us and while we were yet sinners and still died for us, if it really has made any difference in our personal private lives. Has the power of his sacrifice affected the way we live? Has the power of his sacrifice affected the way that we think and the way that we act and the way that we behave and the, the way that we talk and the way that we conduct business and handle every area of our life? I began to ask myself, has the power of his sacrifice changed us and transformed us? Has it made all things new in our life? The question that kept coming to my mind and coming to my spirit is, are we bearing the evidence of his sacrifice? Are we living proof that we serve a living Savior? Are we living proof that he is a risen Savior? Because all that I know when I look back at Easter and any Easter is that Easter is all about resurrection. Easter is all about conquering sin and the grave and rising up in newness of life. Rising up with evidence that there is power in the blood of Jesus Christ. Power to transform a life. Power to transform a mind. Power to transform an individual that was lost. Power to take someone out of darkness and bring them into light. Power to find someone that was lost and now bring them into the fold. Is, uh, those, those were the questions that began to go on. Are we bearing the evidence of his great and mighty sacrifice? Paul says in Romans 6.4, We were therefore buried with Christ through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might rise up in newness of life. And verse 5 says, If, if we have been united with Him in His death, 
we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. I want you to understand that this is a, a statement of truth and confirmation that Paul is making. Paul is saying that if you have been united with Christ in his death, it is certain, it is assured, it should be a definite thing in your life that you will be united with him in his resurrection as well. And I'm not just talking about the resurrection into eternity. I'm talking about evidence that we have been raised up in newness of life. It's exactly what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is that if you have truly been buried with Christ into the baptism of his death, if you have truly gone to the cross, it will show up in your life. You will look different, act different, think different, talk different, behave different. There, there should be something different about your life. Paul was saying that if you have truly been united with Christ at the cross, if we have truly gone to the grave, that it will truly be evidenced in our lives by the fruit that we bear and by the newness of life that we display. You see, the reality is just because we call ourselves Christians doesn't mean we've gone to the cross. Just, we, just because we call ourselves a Christian and lay claim to the name of Christian doesn't mean that we've really been to the grave. You see, what, what we have to understand is that the evidence of going to the cross and the evidence of going to the grave is brought forth in the fruit that we bear in our life. And this is what Paul is trying to teach us. So the question is, really, are we dead to sin and alive to Christ? Or are we alive to sin and still dead to Jesus Christ? Are we barren or are we bearing the evidence that we have risen up in newness of life? Are we bearing the evidence of His resurrection in our personal lives? In Matthew 3, chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, we're told by Jesus himself to bear fruit that is consistent with our repentance. And the first thing that I want us to see in this passage of Scripture is the reality that without repentance, there is no fruit. Without repentance, there is no fruit. Without going to the cross and without going to the grave, there is no evidence in our life. There is no fruit. Unless you and I are buried with Jesus Christ in the grave, spiritually speaking, don't expect to bear the fruit of righteousness in your life. Don't expect to bear the character of Jesus Christ in your life. The only way that you and I can bear fruit for Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God is through repentance. Is by going to the cross of Jesus Christ and being buried with Him in the baptism of His death. The reality is, if you've never gone to the cross, you've never come to Jesus Christ. The reality is, if you've never gone to the grave, you've never been born again. If you have not been buried with Christ into His death, you cannot rise up with new fruit evidenced in your life, or mine either. Listen, when we come to Jesus Christ... We must come to Him at the cross, and we must be willing to be crucified with Him spiritually, and we must be willing to be buried with Him spiritually, so that we might rise up in newness of life and bear fruit that is consistent with our repentance. Fruit that is consistent with the confession that we make. You see, the reality is when you call yourself a Christian, the fruit that you bear should be consistent with that confession. 
When you call yourself a son or a daughter of the Most High God, you should bear fruit that is consistent with that confession. When you call yourself a, a part of the body of believers, when you call yourself a royal priesthood and a holy nation and a chosen people, guess what? Your life should bear the evidence of that with the fruit that you bear. You're, you're, the fruit that you bear should be consistent, the Bible says, with your confession, with the repentance that we bring forth. Listen, this is what we have to understand, that we are to bring forth fruit that demonstrates the sorrow we say we have for our sin. We must demonstrate the sorrow we say we have for our sin. We must bring forth fruit that can only be produced in the soil of a broken and a contrite heart. The only way spiritual fruit will ever come out of our lives is through a broken and a contrite heart. It is by allowing the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the presence of God to do something with a heart of stone. To break it up, take out a heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh that has been washed and filled with the blood of Jesus Christ and righteousness will come forth from that soul. But unless we've been to the cross, unless we've gone to the grave, unless we've been planted in the ground with Jesus Christ, unless the blood of His, uh, of His being has saturated our soul, the fruit of righteousness can't come forth. The only thing we'll ever bring forth are the things of this world, the thorns and the thistles of this world. Listen, when we go to the grave, we're to rise up with new fruit. We are to rise up with new fruit, evidence that His blood has accomplished something mighty and great and powerful in our lives. It's why Paul was able to say, I am a new creation. It's why he was able to say, old things have passed away, all things are new. Because, listen, because he was crucified with Christ. And because he was raised up in newness of life. We all should be able to say the same thing. We should all be able to say, Behold, I am a new creation. We all should be able to say, Old things have passed away, and all things that I'm bearing and displaying in my life are new. There's got to be a change in our life if we call ourselves a Christian. When you go to the grave, but Paul is saying, listen, if you've truly gone to the grave in the earlier verse and chapter I gave you, if you have truly gone to the grave, you will truly demonstrate resurrected life in your being. So the, the question, one of the questions we have to ask ourselves, you know, if I'm not bearing fruit, if, if I'm continually bearing thorns and thistles and the things of this world, the question we have to ask ourselves, have I really, truly gone to the grave? Have I truly ever really taken it to the cross? Have I crucified myself with Christ so that I can be buried with Christ and leave the old nature there and rise up in newness of life? The reality is the people that struggle over and over and over and over and over and over and over. In sin and sin and sin and sin and sin, that sin has never yet been crucified. That sin, as difficult... Listen, there's a, sometimes you've got to take that thing back to the grave a few times before it stays there. But you've got to take it to the grave. It's why Paul was able to say, Behold, I am a new creation. His life was filled with the fruit of his repentance and everyone saw it. And everyone should be able to see it in our life as well. The people that he used to persecute, the people that he sought to kill, when his name went from Saul to Paul, everyone saw 
That this is no longer Saul, it's Paul. There was something different about him. He didn't have to just say, it wasn't just him saying, behold, I'm a new creation. Everyone saw that he was a new creation. Everyone heard that he was a new creation. Everyone beheld that he was a new creation. He brought forth new fruit, and so should we, church. This is a lesson in fruitfulness. However, the problem with so many believers is that they confess their sins, but they bear no fruit of that confession. They confess their sins, but they go right back to them time and time and time again. They confess their sin and go right back to the bar. They confess their sin, go right back to the brothel. They confess their sin, go right back to the affair. They confess their sin, go right back to the pornography. They confess their sin and go right back to stealing. They confess their sin and go right back to unrighteousness. You understand what I'm saying? They confess it, but they bear no fruit of that confession. Their fruit does not match the words or the confession of the sorrow they say they feel for their sin. They say just enough to keep going in the direction that they want to. They say, I'm sorry, because they normally get caught. But they haven't taken that sorrow to the grave, and they haven't taken the sin to the grave. And it's why they can't bear fruit. It's why they keep bearing thorns and thistles instead. Because they really haven't gone to the grave and been brought up in newness of life. Father, forgive me, they say, for I have sinned. But then they go right back and do the same old thing. And think, well, I'll just go back and say, Father, forgive me, for I've sinned once again. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I don't know, the, I, I don't know where that's come from, but I, I want you to understand the Father doesn't bless sin. The Father doesn't bless sin. He forgives sin when we repent of our sin. That's where the blessing comes from. So we need to keep that in mind. They, so often, the, the, the family of God, they, they talk about their sorrow. And they try to convince us by their conversation that they are sorry for their sin. But they fail to bear fruit, and the fruit never follows. We have to keep in mind that if we want to bear fruit, we must take it to the grave. We can't just confess it. We must take it to the grave so that we can rise up in newness of life. The truth is God is looking for fruit, church. He's looking for the, the evidence of the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. He's looking to see if the power of Christ's blood is making a difference in someone's life. He's looking for that individual that's allowed the blood of Jesus Christ to, to pump through their veins and bring forth new fruit. Old things passed away and all things have become new. Listen, it's important that we understand that the marks of true spirituality the marks and the signs of spiritual maturity and spiritual growth are found in the fruit that we bear, not just in the words that we speak. You and I can speak all spiritual, but not have fruit. You and I can talk all high and mighty about the things of God, but have no fruit bearing in our lives. So it's not about the words that we speak. It's about the fruit that we bear. The mark of our spirituality comes in the evidence of the fruit that we allow to develop in our life. The fruit is the evidence of our spiritual growth. If you know anything about farming, if you know anything about gardening, if you know anything about planting, you know that nothing will grow unless it's placed into the ground. And the same goes for us spiritually as well. Unless, I go back to it again, unless we are buried with Christ, 
Unless we go to the cross and are buried with Christ, there is absolutely no way in the physical or in the spiritual that any fruit will come forth. You can hold a seed as long as you want and talk about what's inside that seed all you want. But until you put it in the ground and dig it down deep, until it is planted in the ground and in the soil, it will not come forth for its fruit. You can talk about your spirituality all you want. You can talk about loving God all you want. I can preach about Jesus and His Word all I want. But until I allow myself to be planted in the ground with Jesus Christ, I will not bear fruit. And neither will you. No one will. Unless we're willing to go to the grave. This is a lesson in fruitfulness, church. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16 to 23, By their fruit you will recognize them. By their fruit, you'll know exactly who they are. By their fruit, you'll know exactly what they are as well. By their fruit, you'll know what's going on in the center of their soul. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Notice what he said. He didn't say, by their words, you'll recognize them. There's a lot of kooks that can quote the Word of God. The devil can quote the Word of God. But you need to understand that by your their fruit, you will recognize them. When Jesus comes into our lives, He's looking for fruit. He's not looking for words. He's looking for fruit. He's not looking for excuses. He's looking for the evidence that the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, has made a difference in our lives. Words are a dime a dozen. Anybody can speak them. But what God's looking for is a Christian that's willing to bear the new fruit of salvation in his life. This is what the Holy Spirit wants us to understand. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, God says. I want you to know God's looking for fruit. And if we don't bear fruit, we're not worth much, except to be cut down and put into the fire so room can be made for something else. And we'll look at that in just a second. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Jesus made the point two times. He started with saying, by their fruit you'll recognize them. And he ended by with a reminder that said, by their fruit you will recognize them. It's by the fruit that we bear that people will recognize us. So the question is, what do people see when they look into your life? What is it that people see when they come into our lives, church? Do they see the fruit of repentance that keeps up with our confession? Or do they see thorns and thistles instead? One of the questions we must ask ourselves are what are people looking for when they come into our lives? Are they looking for someone to party with? Are they looking for someone to get high with? Are they looking for someone to get drunk with? Are they looking for someone to listen to their gossip or give ear to their slander? Are they looking for someone to sleep with? or do evil with? Are they looking for someone to do a crooked deal with or compromise with? Are they looking for thorns and for thistles? Or are they looking for the fruit of repentance? Are they looking for the fruit of righteousness and the fruit of the faithful? Because listen to me, what others come looking for in our lives is usually what we are bearing. What others come looking for in our lives is usually what we are bearing. Let me give you an example. When I go to McDonald's, 
I go for a Big Mac. When I go to Taco Bell, I go for a taco. When I go to Olive Garden, I go for some Italian food, some spaghetti and meat sauce. I want you to understand, I don't go to McDonald's for spaghetti. I go because I know what's on their menu. And when someone comes into their your life, they come looking for something that you're normally bearing. When they come looking into your life, you understand what I'm saying? If somebody wants to go party, they go looking for someone they know parties. When someone's going to get high, they go looking for someone that gets high. They don't go looking for the opposite. So you and I have to ask ourselves, when someone comes looking into our lives, what are they looking for? Are they looking for thistles and thorns? Or are they looking for the fruit of righteousness? Are they looking for the fruit of God, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, all those things? What are they looking for when they come into their lives, church? What we all have to realize is that when God comes looking into our lives, He's looking for something as well. When God comes into the garden of my life, the garden of my marriage, the garden of my business, the garden of my mind, the garden of my family, when He comes into the garden of my personal salvation that no one else knows about, no one else has access to, He's looking for something as well. He's looking for fruit. He's looking for the evidence, like I said, that his son's blood has done something in my life. He is looking for fruit that will make a difference in someone else's life. You see, the Bible says, taste of the Lord and see that he is good. How do you think people taste of the Lord through you and me? How do you think they taste of God? They taste it of the individuals who have been affected by God and who have fruit. New fruit being born in their lives. That's how they taste. How do they taste love? They taste it through you and me. How do they taste joy? They taste it through you and me. How do they taste peace? They taste it through you and me. How do they taste and see that God is good? They taste it through the fruit that we bear in our life. But the sad reality is, listen to me, the sad reality is when, when this world comes looking for love, sometimes they come into the house of God hoping to touch love and they're pricked by a thistle or a thorn instead. And that life is hurt and scarred forever because someone wasn't bearing the fruit of righteousness in their life. And yet they call themselves a Christian. I'm telling you, that that individual ain't never been to the grave. Because that person isn't bearing the fruit of righteousness that someone needs to taste of and see that God is good. This is, this is a lesson in fruitfulness, church. It's what Paul was trying to teach the disciples. Jesus spent three and a half years trying to teach the disciples. He was trying to prepare them for when he left and he would be no more. You have to be my representation when I leave. You have to be the evidence of my work upon the cross. You must be the fruit of the Father. When I leave, do you understand what I'm saying, church? That is our responsibility today. We must bear fruit so that this world can see. By their fruit, you will recognize them, and we must bear fruit. Jesus said in John 15:8, This is to my Father's glory 
that you bear much fruit. I want you to know that it glorifies the Father when we bear fruit. It glorifies the Father. You want to know how to glorify the Father? Put on some fruit. You want to learn how to glorify the Father? Get yourself to the cross. You want to know how to glorify the Father and be pleasing to Him? Bury yourself in a grave and let the blood of Jesus Christ raise you up in newness of life. That's how you glorify the Father. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Not diddly fruit. Not a little tiny, that you bear much fruit. Listen, every single one of us ought to be bearing much fruit. It ought to be hanging off of us. It ought ought to be an abundance in our life. And the sad reality is, the world's got to get out a little microscope and try to find a piece of fruit in the house of God. Filled with individuals and they can't find fruit. God forgive us. Find thorns and thistles instead, but it is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. And he goes on and says, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. Showing the fruit of your confession. Showing and displaying the fruit of your conversion. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. I said it before, I'll say it again. You and I can talk about being His disciples all we want. We can talk about righteousness and holiness and godliness. and We can talk about all those things all that we want. But God said, show yourselves to be my disciples. Put yourself on display to this world that is lost and dying and let them see the fruit of the Father being displayed in your life. Bear much fruit. The Holy Spirit is saying to us. Jesus said in John fifteen sixteen, You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you to go forth and bear fruit. And fruit that will last. He appointed every single one of us to do one thing. Go bear fruit. And fruit that will last. You see, what Jesus is saying in this passage of Scripture is, I want you to bear fruit that will endure through the storm. I want you to bear fruit even when the, when the sun gets hot and the fire gets hot. He's looking for fruit that will, will endure through the fire and endure through the flood. He's looking for fruit that grows in the dark. He's looking for fruit that won't wither when the sun gets hot. Do you understand what I'm saying? He is looking for fruit that is a right representation. He's looking for a fruit that will grow in the valley just as much as it will grow on the mountaintop. He's looking for a, a, an individual who allows fruit to be born in their life when things are going good and even when things are going bad. That's the kind of fruit that he's looking for. Bear much fruit and fruit that will last. Last through the persecution. Last through the somebody done me wrong song. It'll last through the ridicule and it'll last through the opposition. It'll last through the temptation and it'll last through the trial. And it'll last through the tribulation. Because he who endures to the end shall receive the reward. This is the kind of fruit Jesus is looking for. Fruit that will last. The sad reality is, boy, we got some fruit in our life, and as soon as somebody done me wrong comes along, the fruit falls to the ground, and it ain't no more in our life. But God is looking for some fruit that will last, church. 
Because listen, in this world you will have trouble, Jesus said. In this world you're going to have all sorts of problems. In this world, listen, you might get laid off and lose a job. In this world you might get sick. In this world things can go wrong. In this world your marriage can get rocky. In this world, in the midst of all of it, Jesus is saying, I'm still looking for fruit. And fruit that will last. And when it lasts, it is to my Father's glory. I need to start to hurry and wrap this up. But the truth is God expects us to bear fruit, church. Not just talk about it, but produce it in our lives. In Genesis 1.28, the very first command, if you study scripture, the very first command God gave to his creation was be fruitful. That was his very first command. Be fruitful. You want to know how important it is for us to bear fruit? Look at the very first command God brought forth from his lips. He, he not only commanded us, man, to be fruitful, he commanded his own, all of creation to be fruitful. He commanded the flower to be fruitful. He commanded the tree to be fruitful. He commanded the cow to be fruitful. He commanded the sheep to be fruitful. He commanded the stars in the universe to be fruitful. He commanded you and me to be fruitful and multiply. That was his first command. But guess what happened? You know the story. Sin entered into this world. Wickedness overtook righteousness. And God had to bring a flood to annihilate the earth and start all over again. He wiped out all of mankind. He wiped out all evil and all wickedness and spared Noah and his family. And when the, when the storm subsided and, and, the, and the oceans went down and when Noah stepped out of the ark onto dry land and God started all over, guess what he said once again? Be fruitful. Be a right representation, Noah, of what I've just accomplished in your life. Be a right representation of me, the Father, which art in heaven. You see, this is what he's saying. Listen, understand what I'm saying. It's exactly why baptism into, into Jesus' death is likened to Noah and the flood. Because the same exact thing is takes place. When you go into the ground, old things are wiped away, wickedness is wiped away, sin is wiped away, and you are to rise up in newness of life. You are to rise up as a new representation of the power of God in your life. It's the same exact thing. Water baptism, spiritual baptism into Jesus' death is likened to the flood of Noah. Be fruitful! Jesus is saying, as soon as you are saved, the first command he makes into your life is be fruitful. Very first command he makes, become evidence of what I've just done. Become the the living evidence of a living Savior that's still alive today. Be fruitful and multiply. This is the command of God. Be fruitful. Please understand, God expects us to bear fruit as I start to wind this down. Here's what I want to close with. It says in Luke chapter 13, verses 6 to 9, is where we find God's expectation. It says, then Jesus used this illustration. A man planted a fig tree in the garden and came again and again to see if there was fruit on it, but he was always disappointed. That's a sad commentary. Always disappointed. Every time that he went, he came looking for something and couldn't find it. Every time he came to this garden, to this place where he made an investment, to this place where he sowed a seed, he came again and again and again, the Bible says, and he always was disappointed. 
He was disappointed because he could not find what he was looking for. And he was looking for one specific thing. He was, his, his expectations weren't outrageous. He planted a fig tree, okay? And all he wanted to find was figs. His expectations were not like out of this world. He didn't expect to find lemons on a fig tree. He didn't expect to find grapefruits on a fig tree. He simply wanted to find figs because it was a fig tree. He came not out of season. He came during season. He didn't come in the middle of the winter and say, okay, you stupid fig tree, you should be bearing fruit in the middle of winter. He didn't do that. He came when the tree was supposed to be bearing fruit, and it wasn't bearing fruit. He didn't find what he was looking for, and he was disappointed. Disappointing that he couldn't find the purpose for which this tree was planted, and that was to bring forth fruit. And if you begin to think about that in a spiritual sense, church... I wonder how many times God is disappointed when he comes into our lives looking for fruit. When he comes into our lives looking for the evidence of the very reason he gave his son's life. He's looking for evidence of the power of that blood that was shed on Calvary for the life that he gave on our behalf. He demonstrated his love towards us. And while we were sinners, he died for us. And he is looking for the evidence of the power of that blood and sacrifice in our lives. And so often he goes away disappointed. So often he comes to that place where he planted his son for a purpose, and that purpose isn't being fulfilled in our lives. He comes looking for the fruit of righteousness in our life, and he finds thorns and thistles instead. He finds a representation of the world instead of a demonstration of the power of the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And the Father, which art in heaven, goes away disappointed time and time again. Because he does not find the fruit that we're supposed to be bearing in our lives. And I'm going to close with this because it's a story of, obviously, finally, it says, the landowner goes to the gardener. We're back in Luke chapter 13. And he says in verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 7, he said, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's taking up space so we can use it for something else. He says, cut it down because we can put something that will bring forth fruit in its place. Cut it down. It's taking up space and we can use it for something that will bring a return on my investment. Please understand, when a farmer plants a tree, a fruit tree, he makes an investment and he expects a return. The money is in the fruit. The worth is in the fruit. A fruit tree that's got no fruit doesn't bring him any profit. Might look good, might smell good, might rustle in the wind, but it brings absolutely no value to the farmer. The value is in the fruit. And what you and I need to understand, please, again, we can look good, smell good, rustle in the wind. When the Spirit comes blowing, we can shimmy and shake and shout. But I want you to understand that our value to the Father is in the fruit. And it's what He's looking for. And the question that He has tonight is, are you barren or are you bearing? 
And if you follow the story to the end, the gardener says, Master, he says, give me another chance. He said, let me pay this plant special attention. Let me dig around it. Let me chop up the hard soil. Let me pour some fertilizer on it. And if it grows, fine. And if it doesn't, then cut it down. And this is what the Holy Spirit is wanting to close with tonight. He's wondering how many, how many of us are candidates to say, God, I'm, gonna give my, I'm willing to give my spiritual life some special attention. I'm willing to do some digging. I'm willing to do what I need to do to try to fertilize, to bring forth the fruit of righteousness in my life. I'm making myself a candidate tonight, God, uh, for for a a special work in my life. If there's anyone here tonight and and you're willing to say, you know what, I'm not bearing as much fruit as I should. I'm a candidate for special attention. I just want you to stand to your feet. Now, in all reality, I think we all should because we all could bear more fruit. Amen. So here's what I you you examine your own life. And you just say tonight as I pray, God, this is the commitment I want you to make. God, I I don't know what you got planned for my life this year. I don't know what tomorrow holds, next month holds, next week holds. But I know you've got a purpose for my life, and that's to bear fruit. And so I'm going to pay special attention to my spiritual condition. I'm going to do whatever I need to do. More time in prayer, more time in word, more time in church. Rearrange my priorities. Whatever I have to do, God, so that I can bear fruit and fruit that lasts. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word this evening. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father God, in all reality that you have already given us everything we need to bear fruit. You've given us the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, the obedience of your son, Jesus Christ. You've given us your word, your Holy Spirit. You've given us everything that we need. And God, there's some of us tonight that might have to go to the grave. There's some of us tonight, God, that might have to take some sins or take some things to the cross of Jesus Christ so that we might make our way to the grave so that we can leave our sins there and rise up in newness of life so that we can bear fruit that's pleasing and brings glory to the Father. God, that's what I'm praying tonight, that we all would bear fruit and fruit that lasts so that you would be glorified. Your word tells us that in all that we do and in word and deed, we should do to glorify the Father. And there's nothing that glorifies you more than us bearing fruit. Evidence of the power of the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. So I pray, God, that you would accept our sacrifice tonight. God, that you would help us to pay special attention to our spiritual condition. That we would do whatever we have to do in the soil of our soul. That we would take jackhammers if we have to. That we would take picks if we have to. That we would break up the hardness of our heart, God. So that we might be able to bear fruit and fruit that lasts. I pray that this word would find a place, not just in our mind, not just in our ears, but in our heart tonight, God that it would follow us and speak to us all throughout the week, that it would uh, stir us and cause us, Father, to yield ourselves to you and on a daily basis meet you at the cross to where we can lay down our lives and rise up in newness of life. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your power. I pray God blessings upon your people as they leave. I pray peace 
upon this storm, Lord God, that it wouldn't affect any of our lives, any of our travels, any of our households. Emma sin, O God, and protect us from all harm, from any injury, from any accident, from any form of evil. We just speak against it in the mighty name of Jesus that we might have a peaceful night and rest in your word. We give you the praise and the glory and all God's people said, amen. Can we just bless the Lord tonight, church? Amen. Go and bear fruit. Amen.